a substantial percentage of children born in wedlock are not actually related to the dads. Whoa. I don't know, it's like 10% of kids are all, holy crap. I mean, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I can tell you allegedly 60% of married men cheat and 40% of married women cheat. So, you know. What a mess. Happens. Pregnancy happens. Welcome to The Father State. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. The Father State is on Patreon. So click the Patreon link in the description to support our work. I have with me a very, very mama mia. Hola, si senor. Uh-uh, uh-uh-uh. Hold your wallet, guess. I have with me Marilyn D. York, a family law attorney in Reno, Nevada, who specializes in men's rights. Marilyn recently gave a viral TED talk over 5 million views. Marilyn, thank you so much for coming on with me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Good to be here. Amazing. I, I saw your TED talk, by the way. I do want to tell you it was absolutely amazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Do you write your, what you're going to speak about or just come from the heart? Well, generally speaking, and I'm a more impromptu speaker. I do a lot of public speaking and I don't write my speeches. But that one, because it's the TEDx, it had very specific curated demands and you know deadlines. So it was not just written, but rewritten 10 or 15 times with the committee, assisting and critiquing. And then memorized so well, someone yeah. could cut my arm off, and I would keep reciting. <laughs> That's the instruction. Yeah. And they test you. They make you recite it and start in the middle in every paragraph, and they read along to make sure it's that well scripted. Wow, we well, did an amazing job on it. Thank you. I uh, yeah. I think you might be the first uh, lady, a woman I met that working for men to help men. What caused you to get into helping men and uh and their families um a couple things i mean i've always been kind of an underdog fighter just from birth my my brother's got a quirky personality would be an understatement he's two years older than me um and in my opinion probably has asperger syndrome he was never diagnosed he was just a gifted and talented kid but he was teased a lot growing up and so I kind of was postured to support and defend him from a young age. Yeah. We're one grade apart, even though he's two years older. And so I was just one grade behind and I ended up graduating early with him in high school. So I think that kind of set the tone for me to, you know, look out for people that were less able to defend themselves. I also have a very dominant father in my upbringing. So I was raised in a masculine way. My yeah. dad's military. He went to West Point. I always say that we were raised second generation West Point. And so, you know, I have sort of that thinking, that mentality. And so it was a natural inclination for me to have more male friends. And so in law school, another female friend of mine and I decided we would represent men in divorce, recognizing that they were the underdogs yeah. in family court hugely at the time. It's since shifted in a positive direction, but we're still certainly not done fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. Um, so I decided to focus my practice to represent men, believing that they needed extra support, extra, you know, fight, extra encouragement. And I always knew the cross-gender representation made sense. Like men certainly can handle females in authority better than other men and vice versa. 
And so that formula made sense to me. So I tested it and I believe to this day it's very crucial. Yeah. And I have, you know, 11 female employees here. Right so. on. You are, you, you talked about your father. Uh, how much of an impact did this have on you and your relationship with your father? You were close to him, right? Yeah, I still am. He actually runs the business end of my practice still. He's an entrepreneurial, you know, serial entrepreneur. And so he's a mechanical engineer by trade, but a businessman by, you know, heart. And so he does the business end of the practice a lot less than he used to. He'll be 80 years old this year, but sharp as a tack. Right on. Um, and so it's brought us a lot closer. It's also, you know, a conflict. We fight and yell. And if I'm screaming in the building, it's usually at my dad. People are like, oh, God, if there's one attorney I yell at like that and my dad. No ex-husbands. I don't talk to them that way. They're like, oh, that's your dad. You know, so it brings its challenges. But I, I talk to him two to three times a day. You know, he's not physically in the building much and hasn't been ever. He's he's a cowboy. He likes to be out on his backhoe doing business. Yes. So he calls from his cell phone mostly. Nice. I noticed over the years, um, for 31 years, we have been rebuilding a family by rebuilding a man in my nonprofit organization. And um, I noticed that women who have not grown up close to their father tend to not only hate their father, but hate all men, hate their, uh, their husbands if they get one boyfriend or whatever. And those who have grown up, grown up close to their fathers tend not to hate men. They, you know, they tend to work better with men and get along better. Have you noticed that at all? I'm sure there's a pattern of impact by an absent father. Um, you know, I think there's a neediness that some women experience when their father's absent where they, they may actually be the opposite where they want men desperately and they're more, you know, anxious attachers to men. Yeah. Because they need that male connection and figure that they didn't have. I'm sure there's a, a group of women that hate and resent men because of the absence. I'm also sure that there are fathers that were not good to their daughters and physically or sexually, God forbid, abusive to them. And those women probably hate men the most because they have every reason to be. But I think it has a different kind of impact across the board. But I know statistically it has a negative impact on all children, gender you know, aside. Yeah. But boys without fathers are certainly greatly impacted as well. I mean, there's whole books on it and statistically speaking, you know, 200% more likely to use drugs and 80% more likely to drop out of high school and become homeless and be victims. I mean, females without fathers are much more likely to be victims of rape or teen pregnancy or murder even. It's horrific, you know, and, and all data tells us that, that kids need their dads. And yeah. good dads, of course, would be ideal, not scary dads. Why do you think there isn't a push in this country to um, turn men back to their families, to their children, and even to their wives in some cases, bring families back together. Because that is probably the number one issue in America today, more so than any other issues that the country is dealing with. Why do you think there is not a strong issue to bring families back together? Well, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's maybe one of the biggest epidemics we have. Fatherlessness is huge. I mean, it's at least 17 million children today in America growing up without their dads. Yeah. It's not a small number. The impact is not insignificant. And so we absolutely, as a society, must deal with this. There are some campaigns I'm seeing, like, you know, where we have some celebrities and they're encouraging fathers to be active roles in their children's life and connect to their kids. They're surface, superfluous, 
cute. You know, there's the one with the wrestler who's playing tea party with his daughter. Super cute, but you know, it's a touch. It's something. <laughs> and what I touch on in my um, TED talk is that the statistics are getting worse every year, even though the laws are improving. And so I don't know what is accounting for the fatherlessness. You know, 50% of kids are born out of wedlock. 50% yeah. of divorces, marriages, excuse me, end up in divorce. So the family court has a huge impact on father's contact with children. But as that improves, the statistics on fatherlessness are getting worse. So it's not yeah. enough. Society in general is clearly not valuing father's roles. We're not teaching it. Yeah. I can tell you that men come in here every day and I have to educate them. Your children need you. Here are the statistics why. When I say they need you, I mean not every other weekend. I mean half the time. Yeah. Like you have to be connected in their everyday school life. You teach discipline. You teach delayed gratification. Mothers give kids dreams. Without the combination, kids will not succeed. They won't have a dream and they can't achieve it. Maybe. Like it's the combination. It has to be you. And they're always shocked. I mean, these poor guys come in here and they had no idea they were important. It's like the first time they've ever heard it. And then they'll step up. I mean, just with that little tidbit of me, just some weird lawyer telling them that I'm not a psychologist, you know, but <laughs> they'll step up. So no one's educating dads on their role or moms on dad's role. You know, yeah. we all know moms are important. We're taught we're important. We're taught we're crucial from birth. There's no question, you know, but men are not taught that and kids are not taught that. And so we need to educate kids, too, so that they are part of the connectivity. Yeah. I can't, you know, I see a bunch of teenagers or even preteens that don't make any effort. And when their dad reaches out, they're too busy. Yeah. You know, ah, I got this to do. And then the dads feel discouraged. Well, he'd rather be with his friend. I'm like, no, he needs you. And he doesn't know it, but you need to make sure you're in his life. Like, you go pick him up. You're absolutely right. You know, I know we're not talking about politics today, but I... um. I grew up in Alabama on a plantation under the Jim Crow laws. And my parents worked there, their parents worked there, their parents, and so on and so on. And But the one thing that we had going, black Americans had going at that time, is the family. You know, my the mother, father and mother, grandfather and grandmother, uncles and aunts got married. It was the family. And as a result, we were taught to work, to treat all people the way we like to be treated, talked about God. And black Americans were doing very well under that system. Things were working. No leaders and all that kind of crap. And yeah. then, and then that changed when they brought in the government and took the fathers out and, and 71 years later, I'm 71 years old now. 71. What? Come on. You look like you're like my age. <laughs> well, thank That's you. That's not cool. That's not cool. <laughs> black don't crack. <laughs> God, the sun is cruel to us whiteies, you know? We look real old real fast. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And so, um, but because we have family, we believe in God, black Americans were not blaming the kids were taught to be to work hard, to be responsible. We bought land and all kinds of things. But then they broke up the family, and 71 years later, they are blaming it on everything but the destruction of the family. They're not, they're calling it racism, sexism, uh, white supremacy, all kind of ism, right? But it's about the family, and until we bring that family back together, it's not going to get better. Material things cannot resolve the family issue. We need the family back. Well, and I think two things. One, that society and, you know, our culture are too expensive. 
I mean, men aren't in the home because we can't afford our homes. Men, women aren't in the home anymore. Yeah. It's like it takes four incomes to pay for one household these days. So yeah. that's one of the reasons employers aren't encouraged to, of course, encourage family life. And the economy is not encouraging it. But the good thing that COVID did, one of the good things, is it created this artificial stop in time where dads were suddenly in the home again. I yeah. mean, I can't tell you how many of my clients were home for the last year working remotely, but they're suddenly involved in their children's daily lives when they're in their marriage and divorce because suddenly women needed help. We're all going crazy with our kids home, yeah. you know, and this online schooling is driving us batty. And so <laughs> suddenly dads are involved again and they're doing homework with their kids daily and they're engaged in their lives and we're, you know, planting gardens and we're walking with our dogs and Everything's closed. We had to get back to the till in the soil and coming up with creative ways to connect and kill time and be outside because that was the only place we were allowed to be. And yeah. so I think it's been a really cool reset. And I hope we take from it the benefits and don't just go back to our stupid, dumb drive through lives that we had <laughs> before when it opens. Yeah, that's a very good point. I hadn't realized that about the fathers being home now. But that's a very, very good point. You're right about that. Uh, I think we're going to see a spike in the education. I really do. I yeah. think that having both parents in the home and helping with education, you're going to see an increase. And particularly my understanding is that boys suffer more educationally now than girls. Yeah. That there's what's called a boy crisis and that the teaching is more female dominated and they aren't teaching boys the way boys learn. And so I bet we'll see a spike in boys performance since their fathers are more involved. That's good. I hope. Yeah. I hope someone watches and figures that out. Yeah, it's, it's so it makes so much sense. What surprised you the most about divorce and custody issues uh, when you started your practice? Uh, honestly, the soft side of men was the most unexpected. Yeah. The way men are kind and soft and pining for these psychos. <laughs> I mean, frankly, like these hideous psychos. I'm like, what? Let it go, man. I mean, God, guys are just soft. I had no idea they're sensitive, they're soft, they're compassionate. They want to see their, you know, ex-wives be well no matter what. No matter how mean these women are to them, they still say the same thing. That's the mother of my children. I want her to be fine financially. I don't want her to be destitute. Like, they're just kind. They have a care about them even at exit. You know, and this is a generalization. Of course, there's exceptions. I have plenty of yeah, men who okay. like are burned. But generally, I find men to be really chivalrous, even in the context of separation and divorce. And they don't they don't like emotional conflict. They don't want it. And so they avoid it by putting their head in the sand. You know, they'll blow up, but they don't want it. And so they hope, oh, well, if I'm nice to her, maybe she'll be nice to me. You know, they're really, you guys are simple creatures. You just want peace yeah. you want to get dinner you like a little sex you know you want to be valued maybe a little appreciation yeah you like it to be easy for you to like hey your kids here come pick them up take them to dinner you don't want to be micromanaged they don't you know we don't need to browbeat you and try and manipulate and control how you read the book how you change the diaper like it's just emasculating and traumatic to you guys when we have to tell you to do everything and no one's gonna die changing a diaper let it let it go moms yeah. Nobody's killed anyone changing the diaper. If it's backwards, it's funny. Like, breathe it out. It still holds pee, I promise. <laughs> it's just, we, we're so controlling. I mean, I don't know what's wrong with us. I, I, I'll I'll see myself do it and be like, oh, my God, stop. stop. Yeah, nice. I, yeah. I have to agree. I never thought that I would live to see the day when men are so weak. And, and I mean, just sugar water, you know, and, and just... 
But and so I've been asking around, why are you so weak? Why did, in some cases the men have been told by their mothers when you while raising them, you have to treat a woman special. You have to be this way with her and that way. So they're like teaching their sons to be weak. And then when they go out into the world, the educational system is adding on to what the mother has already done. But what I noticed that with children who are coming from both parents or even just a father, they don't tend to be as weak like that. So I think the mothers in some cases are training their sons to be weak. Well, you know, ironically, in my own family, my dad's one of the strongest volatile men I've ever known. And my mother is very meek and very subservient. She's a pastor. She's very traditional. My dad's military. And my my brother grew up like my mom. He looks like my dad and acts like my mom. I look (laughs) like my mom and act like my dad, which is both of my parents' worst nightmares. Like my mom could not have wished for a meeker daughter and not have gotten more irony there. And my dad similarly is just humiliated that my brother's walking around the earth with his face on him being a sissy. Like it's just hilarious to me that daily they're traumatized by this mix. And it's just the way the genetics fell. You know, it took my dad 25 years to realize he put all his eggs on my brother and expected to create this man. And all he did was, I don't know what he got. He got nothing, you know, and then he, tried to beat me into being less strong and it just made me stronger. And so he finally just accepted it one day. And now here we are. (laughs) My mom has sort of accepted it too. Although I'm sure she's praying for me every day to be the prim, the decent and an order daughter. She dreamt. Amazing. Uh, I, I want to ask you about the course, but first I want to make sure I congratulate you on the TED talk. It was amazing. Thank Were you. you surprised about the how that talk resonated with the people? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like part of the, my struggle with the talk was it's a super complex topic. So squishing it into 15 minutes or whatever they give you was yeah. really difficult. So unfortunately, they carved out a lot of my personality because we didn't have time for my stupid stories and my dumb commentary, but that's where I'm most comfortable being a jackass. <laughs> and so I struggled with that talk because it was so serious Yeah. and I love being serious, but I love an, I love a humorous side to seriousness. Yeah. And there wasn't time for it. And so I thought it would lose traction because it was boring because I like to laugh, but I was shocked at how quickly, you know, it went viral and thrilled. I'm thrilled for fathers. I'm thrilled that people want to hear a woman talking about it. I've gotten only positive feedback. I'm sure there's negative comments on YouTube, but I don't read them. And for (laughs) the vast majority of them, they're positive. And that's the first time, because trust me, I have snarky commercials and as well received as they shouldn't be. It's fine. But, you know, I was really happy for the cause. I think that the timing is good. I think the world's ready to hear it. And they're listening to a female tell them. And I love that. I, it's still getting, you know, roughly 100,000 views a week. And that's so cool. And all over the world, people reach out to me. Every day I get emails, which I just, I love. I wish I could answer them all. I just happen to have a real job that takes about 80 hours a week. Yeah. So, I, I, I think it's mean. really cool, though. I think it's a sign of the times. I mean, also people were stuck home with COVID. So they're like, I guess we'll watch this dumbass. <laughs> but hey, let's just pretend it was my brilliance they were into. <laughs> it was amazing. I, um... I um I have been telling men that when they go through a divorce or, or they're trying to get visitation right with their own children, that it's best not to even go to court and I, and until I met you. So now I'm gonna recommend everybody to you. But I uh, because when they go to court, they they lose more than they gain. 
uh, they have to pay for their lawyer. And then sometimes no. sometimes they have to pay for the, the wife, the ex-wife lawyer. Then they have to get a, a representative for the child in the courthouse and counseling and all that kind of crap. So the man ended up paying everything, in most cases, not all. And and then if he does get visitation right, the woman is still bringing back home, bring the child back home before midnight. Don't let it be with another, around another, all kinds of rules and regulations The men just give up. So I had told men, rather than fighting this, because if a woman going to try to keep a child away from the child's father, that says a lot about the woman. That's, you know, she's a, a, an evil woman. And so, but when I hear you, it seems like you know how to make it work for the man. My advice for them not going to court with these other people, is that bad advice? Well, I don't know the laws of your state. I'm licensed in Nevada and California. In our state, it is Well, I'm now- in California. I'm in Los Angeles. Well, well, in, in, in our states, it's now a preference for joint physical custody. So if you ask the court to give you joint physical custody, they must do it unless they can find a reason why it's not in this child's best interest. So in my office, I tell clients, we ask her, we demand joint. She says, no, we take her to court, we get it. I just stop negotiating the opposite advice. It's like, she, don't make her think she has power. She doesn't. Yeah. The statute in Nevada says, it's default. Every married couple and unmarried couple have equal rights physically and legally to a child until a court orders otherwise. So now I'm just using that and getting joint instantly and easily. Oh, good. In fact, it's almost impossible not to get joint, which is a problem, because some cases it's not appropriate. And I'm like working my tail off to say this is not the parent that should have joint. But so it that's a really big benefit. And like I said, men often have the you know, incorrect idea that if they're nice to the mother of their children, she'll be nice to them. Yeah. No, no. no it's like blood in the water, man. Watch Shark Week. Yeah, that's right. Uh-uh. <laughs> you know, Mama Bear's not nice. She sees weakness. She eats you. Like, no, no, no. So I, I, I wish parents could get along. There's a million out there that do. They don't hire me because they work it out themselves. So I see a, you know, skewed population of people that can't get along. But, you know, I, I say try a little. And if you don't, let the court do it. Because yeah. you're right, it is expensive. Justice is expensive. Really good justice can be really expensive. It depends on how vindictive she is on the other side. She can make you fight for years with false allegations of sexual abuse, child abuse, yeah. abuse. You know, I- I've seen it all. I'm going to see it the rest of my life. But we can't we can't account for everything. I try to get people to document and protect themselves. Just don't be naive. That's the first thing. Like if she's videotaping you or she's talking really differently and her phone's on the table. It's because she's videotaping you. Yeah. Like, things like that. You're like, just use your, you know, instincts. Trust your gut when it's telling you something weird here. (laughs) You are so right about that. Um, I wanted to ask, is there going to be a divorce if the man applies for the divorce first? Is he more likely to get control of the children? Because I notice when women apply for divorce first, they tend to end up with the children. Does it matter who applies for divorce and, and custody of the kids? So 90% of divorces are initiated by women. I don't know why. Yeah. They're always unhappy. We're always unhappy. Yeah. I don't know why. But the legal advantage to being the plaintiff, the initiating party, is you get to talk first and last at trial. That's just a plaintiff advantage. So it is an advantage legally. Now, most cases don't go to trial, so it's not a advantage that typically comes to fruition but 
I think it sends a message to the court. So I encourage my males to file first because I think when you say to the court, I want my kids. She's withholding my kids from me. I want my kids. They believe you. If, on the other hand, she files first and says he's a monster, he's an alcoholic, he's spending money on hookers instead of a family, he doesn't care about her kids, he's never bathed up. And then the guy comes in, he's like, wait, I want my kids. You know, he doesn't sound as credible. It sounds defensive. It sounds like, you know, if you make allegations against her, you're doing it just as a defense, not as a truth. And so I like to go in as the filing person. It's not crucial. It shouldn't be whoever files gets them, but there is an advantage. I find that women plan for divorce six months, a year, two years in advance, <laughs> and they have their ducks in a row, and they got money stashed, and they lost all their baby weight. They got their boots fixed. They're, like, ready to go. And men are, like, blindsided every time. So yeah. I got two years to make up for. Like, I can't fix the two-year planning. The money's all gone, man. She already spent it. It's already, like, in the Caymans. Yeah. You know? And so I wish men paid attention. I'm like, honey, she doesn't look good for you when you've been with her 20 years. She wasn't like, I want to look good for you. Uh-uh. Pay attention. Yeah. You know, then I can try and offset some of that planning, but it's hard. You know, they've already poisoned the kids, like they've been saying for two years. You know, dad's not home again. It's probably with his secretary. Yeah. Like, and the dude's like surprised that the kid hates him. I'm like, no, you can't undo two years of mental warfare that's been sneak attacking you for two years while you're <laughs> working your butt off to pay for her new Lexus. Like, God. That's amazing. It's some dirty stuff. It's dirty. It's amazing. Uh, by law, are men required to pay child support and spousal support up until 18? Is it 18 so, is the limit? Well, so it's not uh, it's not gender, obviously, in the law. It's the higher income earning parent, which more oh, often is the male, right. one, but not always. Then he would pay child support until 18 or 19 if the child's still in high school until they graduate. They have to be in full-time high school. But, yeah, it stops when they graduate from high school. Um, and it, like you said, it's often the male. It depends on the custodial arrangement. In California, you guys have different laws than us. Yeah. For example, if a man, let's say he earns 500000 a year, and he has 90% custody of the kid because the percentage in California is relevant, and she has 10%. She makes twenty grand a year. He'll pay her child support, even though she has 20% or 10% custody. That's the California law. That is not the Nevada law. In Nevada, up to 50% will look at their relative incomes. But if he has what we call primary custody in Nevada, meaning he has more than 60% of the overnights, she pays him no matter what her income is. Oh. And so we have an advantage here in that regard. I mean, they can deviate here if he's that rich and she's that poor. But that's one of the things that California does that I don't love and that men don't like, you know? Yeah. It's expensive to live in California, though, compared to here. So I understand why they're trying to do that. Yeah, people you always say think, that. Oh, we have, and people always think, like, we have 50-50 custody. It's no child support. I'm like, no. They equalize the households. They don't want a kid living in a mansion one week and a shack the next. So <laughs> even if you share 50-50, they're going to figure out the richer person's going to pay some significant support to the other to try to bridge the gap so the kid's lifestyle is somewhat acclimated yeah. know, to which is, I understand. It makes sense. The problem is the men that come in and go, well, she's buying, she's getting her nails done, she's getting her hair done, she got, a, you know, she got extensions, my kids are in the floods, and they're up his butt, and she doesn't buy him food, and I'm like, yeah, guess what? You have a custody battle. That's what the court says. If you have someone that is so neglectful of your child that they spend all the child support on themselves and neglect your child, you should take your kid away. 
this isn't a monetary problem. This is a parental problem. Yeah. And a bigger one than money can fix. Like, you don't get to micromanage the spending of your ex, but you can say they shouldn't have custody. They just are downright neglectful and being narcissistic and just wasting money on their vanity instead of their child. I mean, that's a, that's the answer. You also uh, have an approach where you help men save money. Um, and that's rare in uh, going through these type of situations. How and why does your approach help men save money? Well, that's our intention. Obviously, best intentions fall sometimes. But I try to settle cases. It's better for the families to settle cases for a bunch of reasons, emotional baggage. But mostly, 70% of people are more likely to follow a court order if they agree to it. If it's imposed on them by a court, they are 70% less likely to follow it than if they agree to it. Mm. And so it's much better to try to garner an agreement with particularly the parent of the child. We don't want some stranger sitting on the bench making decisions about kids they've never even seen. That's (laughs) definitely not ideal. I mean, thank God they're there, and lots of times I get great help from them, but the ideal is two parents that love and know their children making decisions together. So we do whatever we can to help people settle despite what people think. Right. But we don't do that to our, to our client's detriment. But oh. it's a lot less expensive to mediate and to try to negotiate and to try to, you know, meet your partner halfway. I try to help our clients not aggravate acrimony, not engage, don't make it worse. Just, you know, try to help them dial back the conflict, be generous. You know, those sort of things will help save money in the case. And then also, I find that, like I said in the beginning of our conversation, men are so chivalrous, they're giving away money they don't have. Yeah. I'm like, you netted out your income? Dude, <laughs> you can't give her that much support. You're going to be on your mom's lawn chair the rest of your life. Yeah. Like, let's actually get you enough money to live, and let's incentivize her to go work. Like, you give her that much money, she's never going to work. Absolutely. You know, so we try to, you know, be realistic. What does it cost to live? Save some for yourself. Wean her off financially, drop it down over a period of time so she's encouraged to go become self-supporting or get remarried or whatever. Like, so those are the some of the tricks, you know, that um, we try to do. But aggravating cases cost money. Yeah. Um, and emotionally, it's horrifically traumatic to families. You, you gave advice to men that I thought was amazing. And I want to understand, I thought it was good advice, but I want to know how did you come up with it. You tell men to avoid moving before or to wait until they can talk to their children about it before leaving their homes. And why, why is that? I mean, it's just, you know, possessions, nine tenths of the law. If you have possession of the home and you're physically in it, she has no control. As soon as you step out of that home, all control goes to her absent court order. Yeah. So if possible, if you can stay in the home, even if you're in a different bedroom, because I totally get sharing a bed with a hostile enemy is a very uncomfortable place to be yeah. and dangerous. It could uptick volatility, particularly when alcohol and drugs are involved. So I encourage sleeping in a different room, yeah. but I would love to see my guy stay in the home till at least we can get the initial agreement or court order in place, establishing a schedule. And then the the money. I mean, as soon as you take, let's say, one income household or a two income household, and you have to pay for two households instead of one household, we're in financial trouble immediately, like yeah. almost every case. Very rarely are people wealthy enough where that affects them nil. And so I like to get the monetary pieces in place and help them plan for that. Like, listen, bud, you're going to have to rent a one-bedroom apartment even though you have two kids. That's okay. Let's just plan for it. You know, one bed in your room, one bed in her, like keep the daughter separate, you know, help them navigate those sort of pitfalls so we don't have to move twice. And 
we don't have an excuse for the court to be concerned about the kids going back and forth and make sure you're in their school zone. And, you know, have you thought about your commute and the fact that your kids are in two separate schools and they start an hour apart and they're <laughs> going to be in the car all day? You know, those sort of things. We're good at those logistics. Those are mom tasks. And that's the advantage of having women represent men. Yeah. We can help men think like a mom when they haven't had to before. Like, let me help you with these basic things. Now you can move out. This is the good apartment place to be here. You know, don't sign this lease. Should, uh, and I've heard of, of several cases or many now where uh, when there's going to be a divorce, the woman tend to go and take the money out of the bank, out of the sure. checking account before the guy even knows about it. How can men avoid that? Pay because attention. I mean, that's the problem. We all get complacent in long relationships, whether it's employment relationships or personal relationships. If she's been in charge of your finances for 30 years, just take a glance every now and again. I mean, audit your accounts. Like, not because you don't trust your wife, but two brains are better than one. Yeah. What if she starts slipping? I mean, here's what's interesting. The, the 50th percentile of divorce doesn't hit till the 20th year of marriage. People think like, oh, half of marriage is into divorce, and they're thinking the first two years. Uh-uh. It's year 20. Wow. And so, you know, these people are in their 50s and 60s by the time it's happening. Sometimes you'll have some physical or mental health reasons why someone's not doing a good job. Yeah. And, you know, I see some pre-dementia or some early onset Alzheimer's and they're doing reckless things or menopause will do it. I mean, I'm not trying to be a jerk, <laughs> but we'll just do more reckless things and the money's disappearing. Yeah. So we all should be smart enough to audit our accounts once a year or every six months. If you see the behavior shift and suddenly you're getting like a past due notice in the mail and she's like, oh, I just forgot to pay that bill. Okay, this is when you should look. Suddenly her mortgage is six months behind, but she's got new boobs. Like, pay attention. Yeah. Just pay attention. Don't put your head in the sand because I can't fix it sometimes. And men cannot do what women do. You know, my guys are like, she took 20 grand. I'm taking the other 20 and starving her. I'm like, no, 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 no. You look abusive. You have more financial and physical, you know, strength than her. If you do the same thing she did, you look like an abusive monster. And she looks like a victim trying to be proactive. Yeah. There is some gender bias, somewhat for good reason in that case. Like, I'm not naive to the fact that there is a power difference. So I always say you cannot do the same thing as her. You can't call her a bitch just because she called you asshole. You can't. <laughs> like, they aren't equals. You're physically stronger. It feels like you're going to hurt her. Amazing. So you have to just kind of take the high road when it comes to verbal and physical, you know, presence. Even in court, I'm like, buddy, you're sitting too strong, like high, like elbowing my clients and now on Zoom. I'm like texting them. <laughs> look like you're about to mug someone smile <laughs> like let your shoulders relax you look like you're gonna the screen you're funny that is so true one point that you keep making and i think it's very important that men need to pay attention they tend not to pay attention and so they're they're yeah they're surprised by a lot of things I you guess, guys are one track thinkers we we like to pride ourselves on our multitasking ability well we use it for evil sometimes yes absolutely you know? <laughs> Do you only represent men or men and women? So we represent men. Um, primarily, we take females by referral only. So it has to be a personal referral that I know that sends them. And so it used to be about 5% of our practice was female. Now it's like 20%. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't even want them. But, you know, <laughs> it's a friend and friend, and they have to vouch that they're not the monsters that want to take kids from, you know, dads that are good. Yeah. And we'll fire them if we find out otherwise. But they're, they can be lovely. I think it's important for my skill set, frankly, to represent both sides. So I see the court from both sides of the gender. 
and I keep my skills sharp on both ends. And so I tend to intentionally keep some smaller percentage of female clientele. Oh, okay. Also, I noticed that most uh, divorce lawyers, well, it seems like most, I'm not sure, are female attorneys now. Is it? And then the men who have gone to court with a male attorney tend to be unhappy about it because that lawyer tend to give in to the to the wife's side of the of the court. He doesn't really stand firm for his client. I see that there is certainly an uptick in females in the divorce world here, for sure. I think the emotional nature of it attracts females. We're comfortable playing in emotional chaos and trauma, <laughs> and men aren't. Yeah. And so I agree with you. In fact, our entire family court bench in Reno for the first time ever is all female. We have six female family court judges and no males. Wow. Can be problematic, but frankly, they're really good judges. And they are not pro-female. They're not pro-male. Like, frankly, these women work their butts off. So if you want to go in front of them with your bonbons and talk about how much alimony you need while you're doing Pilates, <laughs> these are not your girls. These are hard-working ladies, and they're like, honey, you better get your butt off that couch and go get a job. So I like my female judges. Um, I do find the male attorneys on the other side of cases to be very effective and kind and brilliant men. I think they're really good. I think they're better at representing women. I uh, think women look up to men and feel nurtured in like a paternal kind of relationship. And I think they can comfort them emotionally. There's no gender battle. Like when I represent women and I'm like, you, you shouldn't do that with your kids. They're like, oh, you think you're a better mom than me? I'm like, dude, no, I just don't want you to lose your kid. Like easy there, queen. I'm not challenging you as a mom, you know? Whereas if I tell my client, my males, the same thing, I'm like, you're being an idiot. They take it well. They don't, they don't want to punch me like they would a man. If a man talked to them that way, they'd like get hit. Yeah. So the cross gender to me is the structure that works. I hope we have more men. I think we need men in the profession to keep it balanced. Yeah. You know, as attorneys and judges, I, yeah. I want that representation. I don't want to shift the other way where suddenly, you know, we're seeing the opposite trends as we see now. It's not good. We don't want women out of kids' lives. We don't want, pro-female gender bias in the courts or pro-male, like we just want to balance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what chance does or do men have, those men who are making babies out of wedlock, they're either living with the woman making babies or they're dating and making babies, and the woman want to, all of a sudden don't want the, the father to see the, the child, what chance do they have in court? So 50% of babies are born out of wedlock in the U.S. now. 50%. That's it's amazing. Like billions of babies a year. Yeah. This is a huge number and a huge question. So the law, thank God, is improving in California and Nevada, helping what we call paternity cases. That's what these cases are called. So in Nevada, it's now presumed that you have joint physical and joint legal custody of a baby born out of wedlock, but your name has to be on the birth certificate. So ah. that's the trick where women still play games in both states, all over the country. You know, they'll say they don't know who the daddy is. They'll just leave it blank. They'll stick some random dude on there. They know he's not the daddy. They may not know who the daddy is. And so they just <laughs> put one of the five possibles. You know, they list some ex-husband or the current husband. They don't want to tell their husband they're cheating. So they just say it's his baby. Right. He comes out black and he's white. And like, oh, so, you know, I mean, there's a lot of games with the birth certificate. If you're not on it, the hospital treats you like some sort of stranger trying to see some baby, as they should. It's not yeah. the hospital's fault. Yeah. But it'll take me six months from the time the baby's born to get a paternity test confirmation, a court order, and get, you know, him to, to meet his daughter or his son for the first time if I have a lot of resistance. And that's traumatic. 
There is no reason why a baby should not meet their dad the day they're born. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's awful, the stories. So that's the area that needs improvement. You know, there's smaller things like the baby's name because then mom picks its ridiculous name and I can't change it. And some last <laughs> name of some jackass ex-husband. I'm like, oh, cool. Thank you. You know, and so there's games like that that matter. But I'm just talking about the bond from birth. That should be paramount. I wish it was a felony. I yeah. consider it kidnapping if a woman intentionally leaves someone off the birth certificate or puts the wrong father. I wish somebody prosecuted those. How is that not kidnapping? Yeah. It's more effective. You kidnap a kid and someone's looking for JC her whole life. This guy doesn't even know he has a kid. He had a one night stand. He had a long relationship. She got pregnant. She doesn't tell him. She moves away. He finds out he has a kid at 10 years old or 17 and she wants, you know, 17 years of back child support. I mean, you kidnap this child for their entire life. And a lot of these guys are really great dudes. Yeah. And if they aren't, that's the court's decision, not yours. Yeah, you don't right. need to be judge and jury and terminate parental rights by, because you feel like it. What um uh there are cases also where the woman says that's the the man the, my child's father. Find out later he's not the father; it's someone else. But he's now paying child support. What should he do in that case? Well, unfortunately, the law does not protect him. So if you think about it, the law is the state. I mean, the government is protecting themselves. So the first thing they do is protect themselves from welfare. So, you know, the kid's 10 years old and they're thinking, well, we don't know who the hell the dad is. And if we do remember who the dad is, we're not finding him. So this chick's going to go on welfare. So they always stick someone with the obligation like, well, screw you. You're the dad. You're on the birth certificate. You signed a voluntary declaration of paternity. You have 90 days to rescind that. And if you don't, then too bad. I mean, that's kind of the court's attitude. Now, the case law is kind of shifting and saying you have 90 days from when you had notice. And so here's the awkward thing. You know, the guy kind of gets an inkling. He catches his wife cheating, and he's like, I always kind of felt like she didn't look like me, our daughter. I wonder if he's, she's mine. Now I know she's capable of infidelity. I feel like she was probably sleeping with the gardener. And that kid does look like the gardener. But, <laughs> but is he going to blow up his marriage and call her a whore? Because that's what you're doing. Yeah. You know? These guys are afraid to. So they're like, uh, and they love this kid. So they don't even really want to know if it's their kid. Then suddenly she leaves him for the, ne the next guy, and then he's mad. And he says to me, well, yeah, I don't think it's my kid. Well, I tell him to send in the toothbrush to Walgreens, you know, grab the kid's toothbrush. It's 400 bucks, and they find out it's not. And then I'm like, now decide. Do you really want your kid to, to not be your kid? You know, do you really know who the dad is? The dad's long gone. Do you want this kid? To, you know, then it's up to the dad. And legally, there's some wiggle room now, but it's basically it runs from notice. When did he have notice that this might not be his kid? You have six months from that date at best to set aside what's considered presumptive paternity. Well, most guys aren't going to do it in six months because they're trying to work their marriage out. They don't know for sure. And the allegation will end their marriage if it's not true. Imagine being a woman and like, is that even my kid? I'm like, boy, <laughs> you know, if it is, it's super offensive. If it's not, you know, so it's a really tough area. The law needs improvement. But I'll tell you, the government, the government is going to protect themselves from welfare. They're going to make someone pay for that kid. That's and amazing. hey, you were married to her. Better you than welfare. <laughs> That's right. You know? I got to ask uh, about paternity fraud. How common is it? What is it and how common is it? So there's statistics out there. I don't know if they're true, but it's it, it's huge. Uh, and the statistics I've seen are like, you know, I don't even know. It's like a substantial percentage of 
children born in wedlock are not actually related to the dads. Whoa. I don't know, it's like 10% of kids are all, holy crap. I mean, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I can tell you allegedly 60% of married men cheat and 40% of married women cheat. So, you know. What a mess. Happens. Pregnancy happens. So it's a huge number compared to what people realize. And, you know, in the women's defense, they don't always know. We don't always know the day we got pregnant. Hell, the doctors use first day or your last period. That's not even physically possible to get yeah. pregnant. But it's just convenient. So to figure out when the babies actually do and when they actually come and who the dad might be, particularly with the way we all have sex these days out of wedlock. Right? <laughs> no. So it's happening a lot. Is it happening on purpose all the time? No, but it's still happening. You know, and so there's been some push murmurings like we should do paternity tests at birth always and people are privacy and it's presumed to be your baby if a baby's born while you're married. It is a legal presumption that that baby's yours. Uh. And so people just go with that, you know, but it is a huge issue. And I think it's a problem. I think children deserve to know the biology that they came from. They deserve to know their biological parents. I love adoption. I'm not against adoption. Right. I love step parenting and mentoring and father figures, but it doesn't mean that biological parents shouldn't have a shot first and a, and a primary protection. You know, uh, there's no maternity fraud yet. So <laughs> that's right. Are there any consequences for women who uh, carry out paternity fraud? No, no that's what makes me angry. There's no incentive for them to be honest. There, it should be a felony. It is an absolute felony if you kidnap a child. Yeah. If you knowingly kidnap a child, it's a felony, but it's not a felony if you do it through paternity fraud. And they're the ones that are in the sole position to know. We are the only ones that, assuming we're sober and we weren't raped and we weren't drugged, we know who we slept with and who might be the father. Yeah. Uh, and we should have an obligation to say something or face criminal charges. Yeah. We're prosecuting stupid crimes all day. I mean, God, in you know California, you get a parking ticket. It costs more than a flipping DUI. It's here. amazing. You're right about that. What? But we don't care if you steal babies. Like, oh. <laughs> a parking ticket is worth more than a human life now. Oh, God, I remember <laughs> living there, and I was like, oh, two tickets every half hour on my window. No, no. It's like oh. the, the parking attendants are just driving around the block every hour so to make sure you're, you know, that you're not overdoing it or whatever. Well, they have electronic signals now, too. The meters send to them so they know where to go. They don't even have to drive around. Oh, really? Like, oh, that one's over the time limit. Wow. Yeah, I was like, oh, come on. It was already, we were already at a disadvantage. Come on. <laughs> That's amazing. So I gotta ask, is it true that Nevada is the number one divorce, uh, state around the world, in the world? That's my understanding. We are the divorce capital. We're also highest in suicide, highest in gambling, second to last in education. We have a lot of claims to fame that are not positive. Why is <laughs> that? And we have Vegas and Reno, where I live, is a baby Vegas, essentially. Oh. It's a drinking town. Prostitution's legal. It, in, it invites the dark, you know? Gambling is not a good habit. Nobody's life is better for gambling. I mean, we make our money that way. But seriously, how gross are we? We might as well sell heroin on a playground. <laughs> like, it's just not good for people or economies. It's not. We can't complain about it. And it brings in a lot of low-end workforce. Yes. You know, and so education is not important here because the jobs don't require it. And so it's just a cycle, unfortunately. We're so, told we're running out of time. And there's so many other things. I, I could go on all day with you, but I got to ask. Um, I've read a report that I believe is like 50 percent. I may be wrong. 
of women file for divorces nowadays, more so than men. Why? It's 90. It's like 90. Really? Why yeah. is that? Men are always blindsided. Why is that? I mean, why are so many young women filing for divorces today? Well, I, I, I don't know for sure. I mean, I can tell you that supposedly like 60-something percent of married men are happy and only like 12 percent of married women are happy. But I don't know if you ask women if we're happy at all. I feel like women are just pissed off. I, I have this ongoing little skit I do when I meet an angry woman, which is every 15 seconds. I'm like, oh, my God, another bitter woman. That's so refreshing. <laughs> I don't know why we just love to be pissed off. I, I make fun of lesbians and say that they're mad all the time because they don't have a man to, like, yell at them for being grouchy. I, I'm, you know, probably wrong, but it's just a little shtick I have. I don't know why. Maybe hormonally we like to be mad. You know, society hasn't made it easy for us. In our defense, we still do the majority of the housework, the majority of the child rearing, and now we're equal breadwinners half the time. We're even out earning our husbands. And I have that role. Like, it sucks. I'm tired. Why do I have to do all this crap? And my husband's great. He's better than the average man as far as helping. He's great with our son, but I still get way more of the burden than him. And every now and again, he's like, you're the boss. I'm like, the boss is available. Take the job, man. The That's marriage. right. That's right. Slip on in, big guy. That's you right. know, but it, it, so it's not fair. Society has shifted and it's not catching up with the realities. And so we're, we're tired and we're taking it out on our dudes. I, um, I often tell men if they want to get married, the purpose of getting married is to start a family. And so you want a wife that is happy to be a wife and a mother. And that means she's willing to stay home and be a mother and a wife, right? And so I tell men not to marry women that are not ready to do that. Am I wrong? Well, and we need to meet. you got to figure out what your values are and meet in the middle. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. We all need to meet in the middle. Our society is all me, 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 self-gratification, instant gratification. He's not good to me. I'm out. You know, I mean, it's. <laughs> The shift of the world. Yeah. My dad and I discuss it all the time. He's been married 50-something years, and he's always acting like he's got it all figured out. I'm like, Mom is a saint, dude. It's not that you're some good dude. <laughs> that she doesn't believe in divorce, and she's just going to pray for you. Like, lucky you. Don't put your crap on me. But, you know, we talk about how has society shifted. Why are people constantly getting divorced now? Are they right or wrong? Does it make kids better or worse? Like, without being judgmental. Yes. This is just where we are, you know? And so Amazing. maybe we should stop getting married, or maybe we should make getting out of marriage easier so that we can stop pretending that we aren't shifting because we are. Yeah. Two quick yeah. questions, then i got to put you on the hot seat here. Uh, number one, are you a feminist? I like to call myself a modern feminist. Feminists would disagree. They hate me. Yeah. Like, I'm a gender traitor. And I call myself a modern feminist, meaning I can help whoever needs help. I believe in equality, and men are not equal in family court, and they deserve to be. That doesn't mean I'm diminishing women. I'm not taking kids from good moms. I'm not taking kids from bad moms. Yeah. I'm trying to get equality so that kids have both parents. So yeah. I think I'm a modern feminist. You know, I but I'm not... I'm not a me or like I don't have a chip on my shoulder. Good. I feel lucky every day. I've been mistreated for being female, sure, but no more than I'd be mistreated for having a big mouth, which I do. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that. I noticed that you're hated by a lot of women, not all, of course, because sure. you represent men. Um, have you been confronted by angry women? How do you feel about this hatred that they have for you? Well, you know, like paper tigers and cyber bullies, People are cowards for the most part. So, yeah, I get hate mail all the time, and sometimes they spray paint my office at worst case. Whoa. Flipped off, called fat, 
There's some social media <laughs> groups dedicated to hating me. But for the most part, it's passive and indirect and not violent. Thank God, because women are not physically violent. They're just verbally assaulting, um, you know. And so uh, at first it bothered me. Now I find it humorous. Most of the time it's not personal confrontation. They're very in the background. And I get more female support, frankly, yeah. than anything. And that's the good thing about women. We're vocal, you know. So I get a lot of really cool support calls from grandmas and moms and wives and adult daughters. Who go, I get why you do what you do. My brother or my dad or my got ruined, and thank you for doing what you do. So I get so much female support, and I love it. It's right on, right on. I so, give it too. I represent. I, I run a female charity in town for homeless girls. So oh yeah. We don't hate women. Like that's a myth. But my commercials are obnoxious. So I you make it. you make amazing commercials. And and my producer Kelly told me that you write them and do them yourself. That's amazing. It's just life experience here at the office. Yeah, I can tell. But they are, I, I, no wonder people catch on to them because they're so real, yet they're funny, and it gets your attention right away. They so, have to. You're wasting your money. That's right. So, Marilyn, i got to put you on the hot seat. I, I need sure. you to answer these questions as quickly as possible. In one word, describe Joe Biden. Dead. Do you believe in Jesus? Uh, no. Capitalism or socialism? Capitalism. Do you support abortion? Uh, I wouldn't say support. I believe it's necessary. Absolutely. Do you, do you love the great white hope? Uh, I don't know what the great white hope is. <laughs> Donald Trump. Oh God, no! I, call, I don't even look how out of touch I am. Uh, I call he is so amazing. I call him the Great White Hope because well, he's, he's exactly what America needs. Yeah, not anymore, I guess. Do you trust the government? More than I probably should, but sure. Generally speaking, what is the best source for real news, in your opinion? Real life. Do you do uh, do most women hate men? No. I don't think so. Is sex love? It can be delightfully loving, but no, not by its not not <laughs> not a vacuum. Should bi biological males be allowed in women's sports? No. What is a man besides the biological part? What yeah. is a man? Someone with integrity, grit, accountability, and a heart. You know, a soul, compassionate. Did you have fun? I did have fun. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking on the hot seat and also for coming on. Tell the people how, because I know you have a home for women and you're doing so many other things. Tell people how to get in touch with you. I have a website, MarilynYork.com, M-A-R-I-L-Y-N, traditional spelling. That's the best way. You can YouTube me. You can find my TED Talk on YouTube and all my commercials if you just put my name in. Well, Marilyn, I truly enjoyed this conversation. I wish you well, and thank, thank you so much for coming on. Likewise. Thanks so much. All right. God bless you. You too. All Bye. right. Thank you folks for tuning in. I absolutely appreciate it. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, share, ring the bell. You can ring my bell. Ring the bell and, and visit the store. We need your support. So thanks for your support. Have a good day. Amazing. Next time on The Fallen State. Your grandfather was beheaded.
Yes. Pastor Don, who's saying? Literally pulled him out of the house in the middle of the night. My mom's a white lady. Oh, your mother's white? Appalachia Mountains. I'm really a poet at heart. Are you a slut maker? You're gonna love this. Anytime I would masturbate to porn, it was this girl. <laughs> what the? You know how you say do the silent prayer twice a day? I'm doing it like seven, eight times a day. <laughs> my mother was always very Christian and like a Jesus junkie. And my dad, being Muslim, what a bus! <laughs> <laughs> and so you released this track called Sand Inward. <laughs> what did that mean? Still alive, but I'm barely breathing. I pray to a God that I do believe in. I got time, but she got freedom. Thanks for watching The Fallen State. We need your continued support. Donate to my nonprofit here. Subscribe and like the videos here. And tell everybody and their mama about the show.